0: and we're gonna be with Psalm 90, that's Psalm chapter 90. Please open your Bibles and turn to that and if you don't have a Bible with you in the pew rack in front of you there's one and that should be on page 718. That's Psalm 90, page 718 and please read, uh, please follow as I read. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood, they fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew, and toward evening, it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath, we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days that you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, Confirm the work of our hands. Let's pray. Lord, all glory, honor, and praise belong to you and to you alone. You are eternal God. Be glorified today. I pray that you use this handful of dust, this imperfect earthen vessel, as a jar of clay to pour out living water that comes from your holy word today. Holy Spirit, make the word come alive. Have it received into ears that hear and fall upon fertile ground that you have prepared in advance. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are old? I'm not asking if you feel old. I'm asking how many of you are old? If I asked one of my grandchildren how old they are, they'd probably give me the right answer, and they'd probably hold up a hand with a number of digits on it or something to, to confirm what their answer would be. But if we're honest, no matter what it is, we're all old, to some extent or another. Some of us are older than others. Some of us are a lot older than others. As indicated in the bulletin, I entitled this message as Wisdom for the Ages, or Ageless Wisdom, because it applies to each and every one of us no matter how many years we've been on this earth. Now a little little background and context into the psalm we just read. We're going to try to look at the who, what, why, and where, and the culture a little bit of the time. And One thing we like to do when we look at the context of something is usually look at the passages before and the passage after. But this being a psalm kind of stands on its own. So the psalm before and the psalm after probably won't help us really to get into Psalm 90. But when we look at the book of Psalms, what section of the Bible are we talking about? Now we have the New Covenant, the New Testament. We have the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And most people say, where's the book of Psalms? You open it up. It's usually in the middle of most Bibles. But if you look at the Old Testament, it's broken down to four or five different sections. You have the first five books of the Bible, being the books of Moses, or the books of the law, or the Pentateuch. The next section of the Bible basically is like the historical books. We have the Judges, and the Chronicles, and the Kings, and all that. And then the third section is like the, the poetry and wisdom literature. And then the fourth section is the prophets. And some take the fourth section, and they divide into the major prophets, and then the minor prophets. Psalms obviously belongs into. the Poetry and Wisdoms Literature of the Bible. Also included in that section of the Job, you've got the Proverbs, you've got Ecclesiastes, and you have the Song of Solomon. Now Psalms themselves, how many chapters in Psalms are there? 150. There are 150 different songs or praises or prayers that make up the book of Psalms. Now this is a book of praises. It's actually five books all put together into one. There's five books that have been put together to create the Psalms that we have. And interesting enough, the division of them, each one ends in a doxology. If you look at the end of book one, you'll see there's a doxology in two and three. Now, who authored Psalms? Trick question, right? No. Obviously, God authored and ultimately gave us the book of Psalms. But in lines of that, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction in righteousness. That the, and uh, all scripture itself is inspired by God, by the inspiration of God. And the text there basically tells us that it's God-breathed. God-breathed. But he used men to record it or pen it down. When we think of the book of Psalms, who comes to our mind most often? Who do we think of right away when we say book of Psalms? David, right? And rightfully so. David wrote about 75 of the Psalms that we have recorded here. But like any hymnal that we have, including this book of praises, it's many authors or many people wrote these, ones, these things down. There are 10 songs of Korah, 12 from Asaph, 2 from Solomon, 1 from Hermon, 1 from Ethan, no other book of the, our Bible contains as many authors contributing to it as the book of Psalms. But Psalms is unique and special and attributed to who? Who's the author of Psalm 90? If you, right, Exactly right. If you look at the superscription in front of what we started reading today, it basically says Moses. What does it say? It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. The man of God. Now that that's a unique phrase. It's used over 70 times in the Old Testament, the man of God. And it's usually referring to a prophet, one who speaks for God, a man of God. Now, Psalm 90 was probably written around 1410 BC. And this was during probably the wilderness wanderings of the Jewish people on the exile, uh, after the exile. And it's probably the oldest psalm that we have out of all of these. And it might actually be one of the oldest pieces of scripture in the Old Testament. Depending on when Moses wrote the five books and who and when wrote the book of Job. Now the span of the book of, of, of psalms goes from that time, some 900 years, to about the 6th to 5th century B.C. So again, Psalm 90 now starts out the fourth book out of the five of psalms. And it's the only psalm probably written by Moses. Understand again, they're all God-breathed. And to understand a little bit, let's look at the writer. Who was Moses? I'm going to try to blow through this quickly. We all remember from Sunday school the story of Moses. I'm going to go through it real quick. But his life period, if you took, took Moses' life, it's basically broken down into three different periods of time, each containing roughly 40 years. Think back on the circumstances of which the time frame, what was going on in history in the lights of, of Moses' birth. This was a time of Israel's probably deepest depression. Why? Where were the Jews? They were slaves in Egypt. They were put into forced labor. And being in forced labor, we would complain. And they complained. And they complained about the workload forced on them by the Egyptians. And due to the complaining, actually, besides the complaining, they were actually increasing in number. The population of the Jewish people in Egypt at that time was exploding a little bit. And it kind of worried the Egyptians that they were getting too populated populists. So what happens? Number one, the number of bricks and, and stuff they had to made was doubled. And on top of that, they said not only were we doubling, you gotta go get your own straw and, and clay and everything else. So they doubled the workload, made them get their own raw materials, and also this time the king decreed a, made a decree to kill all the male child children that were born to control the population of the Jews. Now, there's a Jewish saying which basically says this. When the tale of bricks is doubled, then comes Moses. To Think about that in a historical center. So Moses was born during this time. He's born. He's hid for three months. He's placed in a floating basket by his mom, right? On the Nile River. It's placed where Pharaoh's childless daughter, basically, would bathe and find him. She took him in for herself basically adopted him. Used a Hebrew woman to nurse her, which ends up being Moses' wife. And think about how he grew up now. He grew up in the Egyptian culture, and the Bible tells us he grew up with all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So, he grew up in a good home, with Jewish influence though. This loyalty or royalty, I should say, and status that was given to him. Later on in his life, he he gives up. He gives up and just about runs away from it. He saw injustice being done to a brother Jew by an Egyptian. Moses ends up slaying this Egyptian and hiding the body basically in the sand. And then being found out about this murder, he flees. And he fled into the wilderness. And this basically is the first... Period of Moses' life, his first 40 years. In the desert area, in Midian, for the next 40 years, basically, he's a shepherd of Jephthah's herds. He's being prepared at this time by God for a coming assignment. At the burning bush, Moses was given this mission to bring God's people out of Egypt by the eternal and self existing I Am. This was his second 40-year period. And note how old Moses was at this time. Basically 80 years old when God commissions him. Now at the age of 80, he's given this enormous task to go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of slavery and into their new home. The man of God goes to Pharaoh and speaking for God says what? Let my people go. Let my people go. Pharaoh ends up what? Refusing multiple times and each time he refuses another plague comes and he refuses another plague comes another... There are ten plagues in total, right? we got the blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock diseases, the boils, the hair, the hail coming down, the locusts, the darkness and finally the last one is what? Death of the firstborn from which was instituted basically the Passover. The angel of death at this time would pass over the homes where the blood was applied to the top and to both sides of the doorposts. And if that wasn't applied, the angel of death would do what? Take the firstborn of that household. And also, the firstborn of the livestock. Fin- finally, Pharaoh, after this, lets the people go. Now, the Israelites were enslaved there for about 430 years. And, but after Pharaoh lets them go, he has a change of heart. right? It's a change of heart, he starts pursuing them with his mighty armies and and his horses and over 600 chariots plus. And what happens? They come to the Red Sea. Israel crosses the sea on dry land with walls of water on both sides. The Egyptians pursue them into the river. And on the riverbed, the Lord lets the waters go. and He drowns a total Egyptian army. They were swept away like a flood, swept away like a flood. Now for the next 40 years, Moses' life, he leads this grumbling group of people in the scorching hot sun, followed by, uh, following a cloud, of, cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night. They end up gathering manna each morning for six days of the week, but not on the Sabbath for food. They drank water from a rock He received the Ten Commandments. They ended up melting down a golden calf that was erected by the the Israelites. He had the tabernacle and ark constructed. On one occasion, the earth opened up and swallowed those who were disobedient. The whole disobedient generation that left Egypt died in the wilderness. They all did, including Moses, except Joshua and Caleb, and the children that were born thereafter along the way. They all entered the promised land. Now think of the miraculous events and wonders that the man of God saw in his lifetime. And I'll only mention some of them. I'm not talking about the hand with the leprosy and the rod being thrown down and Aaron's budding rod and it turning into a snake. But i have just mentioned, I quickly try to summarize this. And on top of this, he writes Psalm 90. And he probably wrote it during this wilderness journey. Looking at verse 1 of Psalm 90, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now think of it. For 40 years of wilderness living, moving from place to place, the book of Numbers talks about at least 40 different excuse me, 42 different places the Israelites camped during this journey with no place to call home. How many of you gone on a camping trip? I'm sure most of us have, right? Maybe for a weekend, maybe for a week, maybe even cross-country. 40 years! That's a long camping trip. It's, it's a long time also to be homeless. They had no place to go back to at that point. They were looking for the promised land to come. That's a long, long time to be homeless. But Moses, in writing this, proclaims what? That God is his dwelling place. God is his place of refuge, his rest. He had his home in God. And ours too. And it talks about in all generations. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now... If I did my homework correct, there was probably six generations from Abraham to Moses. I have them listed as Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, Levi, Kohath, Amram, and then Moses. Moses states that the same God blessed them all. In all generations, God has been their dwelling place. And He goes on to say, verse 2, before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What a tremendous piece of scripture, huh? When we look at the mountains, we tend to think of the fact that they've been there forever. They're immovable. They're actually a symbol, basically, of fixed permanence. I mean, you think they've been always there. Jesus even uses them as an illustration when it came to faith, right? He says, if you have the faith of a little grain, a mustard seed. You could say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, and it would. He used it as an illustration of how permanent this is and what a little faith can do. Now, God was there, obviously, before the mountains. He created them. He gave birth to the earth and the world. Before creation, God existed. There's never been a time when God was not. It's kind of a Mind-boggling. There's never been a time when God was not. He's been there from from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. Our infinite, finite minds can't really comprehend what, 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 what that is like. Verse 3 turns, says this, that you, meaning God, turn man back into dust. With a command, he basically says, return, O children of men. What a contrast. We have God who was there before these immovable mountains that have been here forever for a time past, that we are just dust. Now the, the word dust here it comes from the word to, to crush or to pulverize. So we're just dust. I am just dust. Psalm 103, verse 14 says, For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful of what? That we are but dust. God created man from dust, and God will return man back to dust. And he says, return children of men. God is totally sovereign, totally in control of the length of our days. We can't add one cubit, one more step, not one more moment to them. God is an absolute sovereign. Verse 4 says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as like a watch in the night. I don't know, can, to think about how long a thousand years are, I mean, it's hard to comprehend. I mean, I was thinking back about how, how long the United States has been in existence. That's a 240 years plus, a little bit. It's hard to imagine what a thousand years are like in a length of measure of time. But from God's infinite eternal view, a thousand of our earthly years are like yesterday. How short a period of time is that in our minds today? Yesterday. Let me repeat that. From God's infinite eternal view, 1,000 of our earthly years are like how short a period of time is yesterday in our minds. Take a moment and think about yesterday compared to the present future. How long is it yesterday? It's a very short period of time. Very short period of time talks about like it's a watch in the night, a normal watch in the night. They said it was about three or four hours. And that's a reference to guards being posted for watch to watch out for enemy troops or whatever the case is. Guards on post, to, their watch length of time was a short period of time. So they wouldn't fall asleep. They would stay alert to keep alert. The older we get, the better we understand how short life is, how brief it is, and how quickly it moves by. I think the point of this is that man is transient, transitory. Our lives are short-lived in contrast to God, who is eternal. So point one, realize who God is. Point two, realize who we are. And not only are we dust and very temporary dust at that, but talk about a life. Verse 5 and 6 says here, You have been swept away like a flood. They fall asleep in the morning. They are like grass which sprouts new. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts new. And toward evening it fades and withers away. You have swept them away like a flood. Men's lives are swept away by God. And again, I picture the Egyptian army here chasing the Israelites into the riverbed and God drowning them, being flooded away, being swept away with the waters. It goes on, our lives are like the desert grass. In the morning it sprouts new and in the evening it fades and withers away. Something I think Moses would have been very familiar with over those 40 years. You think of the arid desert conditions and in the morning there might be a little dew on the ground from the cold evening or something change in temperature and that would be just enough to sprout maybe something growing but by the time the sun comes out and during the day it's going to wither and dry up and die. This is how our lives are visioned here right? This is what the days of our lives are like. James 4.14 says that we are a mist or a vapor or a puff of smoke it appears for a short period of time, and then it vanishes. David said in Psalm 39, 4 through 5, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as a handbreath. That's a distance, basically, of what's between four fingers. It's a short measurement of time. You have made my days like a hand breath and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely, every man at best is a mere (laughs) breath. Verses 7 and 8 goes on to say that we have been consumed by your anger, and by the wrath we have been dismayed or terrified. You have placed our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. I think here of Korah and the rebellion that went on when the earth opened up and swallowed him, and there was a fire that consumed 250 of the men for, that were offering incense. Israel's sins, their unbelief, their murmuring, their disobedience, and their secret sins in the desert wandering, provoked God's divine anger on a whole generation. He wiped them all out. You gotta remember, nothing is hidden from the Lord Nothing is hidden from his sight. Every sin, every action, every thought, the Lord knows. For all of our days have declined in your fury. For we have finished our years like a sigh. All of our days in God's sight are under his divine judgment. He's looking. He sees everything that's going on. Life declines and it ends in a moan, in a sigh. And it's over with. It's a great passage in Ecclesiastics, chapter 12, that describes our condition of our lives in our older years as, as, as they decline. Verse 10 says, As the days of our lives, or years, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, right, 80. But their pride and their labor are sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Now Moses lived to be 120 years old. And it's said that he still had good vision and strength. Deuteronomy four 34, seven states his eyes were not dim. Nor his vigor debated. And Joshua I think lived to be 110. But most people during these days did not live anywhere near that length of time. Most of them passed away much younger. Their bodies were weakened by age. Even King David lived to be 70. But what Moses saw in this generation of people that left Egypt, they were dying off. And probably those that died off were probably between those ages. And that's probably pretty close to our ages today if we average them all out. And he says, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and it flies away. The best we have to show for this short life is what we've labored for or what we and the sorrow that we've gone through. And then we die. It sounds very much like Ecclesiastes. and It says, for soon it is gone, that's our life, and we fly away. Picture it like a bird landing for a short period of time on a branch, and then it flies away. It's kind of like what our lives are like. Verse 11 goes on to say, Who understands or, or who knows the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? It's kind of a scary verse. Do any of us really understand the full intensity of God's holy anger against sin? I don't think anybody does. I know I don't. God forgive me, I, I, I don't. But no one really understands or gives God the fear and reverence that is rightly due him. We looked at who God is, kind of went over who we are, realizing who we are. The third point here I want to make is realize what our proper response is to this. Verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Be teachable. Not only be teachable, ask to be taught by God to number our days. Somebody asked me before how old I am, and I told them I'd tell them right now. I am 24,126 days old. Got that? All right. No, I didn't count them. Not myself. I used an online website. And according to the honor the website, this is something I didn't know. I was born on a Wednesday. It's kind of interesting, these things you can find out. The point is, my days and your days on this earth are numbered. Not that they're literally numbered, but they're limited. They're finite. They're fixed. Numbering our days and knowing that they're limited should make us value each one of them. Because we only have so many of them. You don't want to waste them. Being reminded of how old we are daily is not really a bad thing. It brings things into perspective. Understanding this will be will be enable us actually to present to God a heart of wisdom. The Scripture says, "We'll be wise from this." Thus titled, "Wisdom for the Ages." Teach us to number our days that we may gain or that we may present or bring to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us the number of days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Verse 13 goes on. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Moses starts list of requests here. This one is asking God for compassion. They've been through the desert a long time they are going through a lot of hard times, and he's asking God to be compassionate. Relent, O Lord, return us to your divine grace. The people Is- of Israel here were under God's discipline for a long, long time. Verse 14 says, And satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Moses' requests, basically, in this morning, it's like a, a new period of grace, a new morning, that, that the dark, the darkness of the night would pass. Things that they've been gone through are behind them. But like, like the matter was appearing in the morning, he's asking for God to satisfy us in the morning with his loving kindness, fill us with that joy and gladness, Not a bad prayer for us each morning. Make us glad, verse 15, according to the days that you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil or trouble. Moses here asks God, make us glad as much as we have been sad. Make us glad as much as we have been sad. And he goes on saying, let your work appear to your servants. And your majesty to their children. Next generation. A plea here is for God to put his glorious splendor on display again. Let us see it again. Verse 17 says. And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes. Confirm the work of our hands. I first read this over. It's kind of a strange way to end this whole thing. But when you think about it. Moses' concluding stanza here is again a request request that that God grant his undeserved favor to them, right? Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. But then he says, confirm the work of our hands. And he repeats that, confirm the work of our hands. The word confirm here actually means to give permanence to, to make effective or enduring. Give permanence to. Make them effective and enduring. I'm going to read three pieces of scripture real quick here. Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Permanence. Not here. Permanence in heaven. Luke 16.9 is an interesting one. I say unto you, make friends for yourself by means of mammon, which is the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. The point here is using our earthly money or our earthly treasures and work for God to produce treasures in heaven. And in this case, they could specifically talk about the souls of people who would be saved by the use of our earthly wealth who will go on to glory ahead of us and welcome us there when we go. It would be interesting to see how we've used our earthly treasures here to bring others to know the Lord and for them to greet us when we get to glory. That's effectiveness. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, For the things which we see are temporal. But the things that we don't see, that are not seen, are eternal. Eternal, that's definitely enduring. The reason I mention those verses is because if we view everyday life through the lens of eternity, I'm going to repeat this. Review, If we view everyday life through the lens of eternity, how would this affect our everyday attitudes, our actions, and our decisions with eternity's values in mind? I had the blessing of growing up in a Christian home. We had many a verse on the wall, some scriptural sayings and spiritual sayings as well. Some of them were framed or embroidered. I'm sure many of you had the same things. And some of them were on these four by four tiles that somebody either painted or made or whatever. I remember one of them had a saying on it as this. It says, only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Have you heard this before? Some of you probably have, right? You've seen it on a plaque somewhere. I'm going to tell you, by the time we get done, you're going to know that statement. This, this uh, poem, part of a poem is attributed to C.T. Studd, he was a British missionary to China, to India, and Africa back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He died at the age of 70, but he died in the mission field in Africa. Give me a second. I know it's a little long poem, but bear with me. I think it's worth reading. And again, Only One Life will Soon Be Past is the name of the poem. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind they would not depart. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life t'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidden me selfish aims to leave, and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life t'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens and hopes and fears, each with its clay I must fulfill, living for self or for his will. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for christ will last give me father a purpose deep in joy or sorrow thy word to keep faithful and true with ere the strife please pleasing thee in my daily life only one life till soon be passed only what's done for christ will last oh let my love with fervor burn and from this world now let me turn Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, 'twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last.' If you haven't heard it enough already, I'm going to say it one more time. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life was burnt out for thee. He died in the mission field. This is Labor Day weekend. thinking about having our Lord confirm the work of our hands, having the Lord give permanence to our labor, let us number our days, gain a heart of wisdom to present it back to the Lord because only what's done for Christ will last. Life is short. If you would die tonight and were uncertain where you would spend eternity, please talk to me or one of the elders. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. The question is, are you ready? The answer is, you can be. 1 John 5.13 states, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let us show you some life-changing scriptures, and assist you in coming to a personal knowledge, personal relationship with the eternal God and with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I ask that you show us more of who you are, holy and sovereign, just, all-knowing, all-powerful, creator, and a sustainer. Reveal to us more of who we are, Father, how frail, needy, and dependent, how transient, how we are just one breath or one heartbeat away from our final day. Forgive us for the years we have spent aimlessly wandering, grumbling, and in disobedience. Shed your mercy and grace upon us. Let us see a glimpse of your glory. Help us to invest our time our gifts, and our very lives wisely. Help us not to waste our few short days on this earth on things that have no eternal value. Help us live each day to the fullest for you. Cause us to see life through the lens of eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.